Warning, the following episode of Orsini's Uncensored Mind contains explicit language and adult content. The thoughts and opinions stated on the show are reflective of A.J. Orsini and his guests exclusively. But seriously, guys, the show's called Uncensored. If you got a problem with bad language, I really don't give a shit. Okay, so I'm a little late. I'm a little behind. But it was all for a purpose, a method to the madness. I wanted to see not just the pay-per-view, but I wanted to see the fallout. And the fallout I have seen, my God, AEW all out in the books, and it was a doozy. Let's holler about it. Welcome to our series on Sons of Mind, and now your host, AJ Ocini. How the hell is everybody out there? This is your boy, your main man, your soul brother from another month with your host of Orsini's Uncensored Mind. I am AJ Orsini. And can we just knock it all off, guys, please? If you're going to buy Mulan, buy Mulan. If you're not going to buy Mulan, shut the fuck up about Mulan. I've never seen so many people advocate so hard to not buy something. I don't understand. You're either going to buy Mulan or you're not going to buy Mulan. Get the, f- get the fuck off of the Mulan thing. Get over it. Either pay the 30 bucks or not pay the 30 bucks. Is it left field? Is that what Was I too left field just now? I'm sorry. I know that the title of this episode is going to be the all-out fallout, but this this is... I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about this Mulan bullshit. It's all, it's done. It's in the it's it's a done deal. You're either going to pay the money or you're not going to pay the money. I thought I saw something the other day stating that they would no longer attach the thirty dollars to it, and people are still bitching about it. So I don't fucking know. It's fucking Mulan. You're either going to watch Mulan or you're not going to fucking Mulan. To be honest with you, the thirty bucks doesn't stop anybody from actually watching it. The people who were going to watch it are going to watch it regardless. And the 30 bucks is not really scaring anyone away. I intend on watching it, personally. I don't know if I'm going to spend the 30 bucks. I'm debating, but it's that's not the point. I'm not making a big fuss out of it. Who gives a shit? How high on the priority list for me is fucking Mulan? I got to tell you, very low. At the bottom. At the bottom. Jesus Christ. Okay, I know we're starting off a little weird, but yeah, fuck that. I was scrolling while my intro was playing, and I was... Seeing more and more posts about this fucking Mulan bullshit. Anyway, anyway, how the hell are you guys doing here? I am bequeathing on the wall of you episode 155. 155. Oh, that was way too Asian. Uh, even for me, that's a little much. But yeah, 155. We are here with episode 155. And uh, yeah, the title kind of gave it away here. We're going to talk about AEW's All Out Last Night. I normally record these episodes before Saturday uh, so that they can be up for download on Saturday. But there was a big major shifting pay-per-view last night, and I wanted to watch it. Now, I know I've been bitching about modern-day wrestling recently and then the whole no-audience deal. But I was committed to watching this one because I knew this one was going to be a blow-off 
for a lot of feuds. We're going to pick up some new programs. It was going to be a shift in a lot of different shit at this pay-per-view. And I needed to be there to see it. I needed to see it unfold so I could talk to you guys about it here on the show. And not only did I see the show, but I have been seeing a lot of this fallout as well. This was a big reason why I didn't do the show yesterday. Uh, There was a lot of people that were hitting me up, asking me if I was going to do an episode last night because they hadn't seen it yet. And I told them all, don't you worry, it's going to be an episode tomorrow and it's going to be a doozy because I'm seeing a lot of shit. I didn't realize how much of a doozy it was really going to be. I thought we were going to just sit here and talk about some some professional wrestling on pay-per-view last night. Well, I thought we were going to sit here. I, I thought I was going to sit here and play the bad guy because I liked the show. So for some reason, this makes me the heel in this because a lot of people did not like that show last night. And I understand why. And I'm going to break down why right here on episode 155. I know why you didn't like it. And the explanation, you're not going to like. You're not going to want to hear it, but it's the truth. And uh, and I that was the plan. I was going to come on here, AEW. I have this fan on me because my living room right now is boiling hot. It's like the inside of a fat guy's sweatpants in here. And I have fluid coming out of my uh, my armpits here due to the perspiration. So I got that. If you hear a, a wind sound in the background, it's my fan literally directly in front of me. Because if I move from this spot... I will literally die. I will I will melt and I will die on air or on camera or on audio, whatever. I will fucking cease to exist. That's how hot it is in my fucking house right now. It's September and it's hot as fuck in my house. I don't know if that's because I had the oven on a little while ago, but it hasn't cooled yet. So if you hear anything in the background, it's this machine that's in front of me that is literally keeping me alive. So that was the plan. We're going to talk about AEW's All Out, the fallout of All Out or whatever the hell. And then, little by little today here on Sunday, uh, the 6th, just shit is just hitting the fan. It's hitting the fan, and we, ha- we have to have a sit-down. We-, we have to have a talk with Uncle Tony. We have to do it here today. We've got to do it. And this is not a negative talk because, you know, not for nothing, he's been trying to do something that's really, really cool. He's trying to go against the grain. He's trying to do something that no one else does, which is nice. But it's got to stop, and we're going to get to that. So before we get into anything AEW, I have to share some joy with you, some joy. So uh, I have dabbled. Normally when you people hit me up with all these trends, uh, you know, it's the Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. Throughout the course of the last few years or whatever, there's been some fads, and uh, I don't really tend to jump on them. But I grew up a huge Karate Kid fan when I was a young O. So this Cobra Kai series really did interest me. Now, I do remember it being a big deal when it was on YouTube. But fuck YouTube. I'm not paying YouTube. Fuck YouTube. I have so many other streaming services on my payroll here. YouTube wasn't getting in there. Especially since that was the only thing on YouTube I was interested in. Not worth the money. So I figure I wait. Or, at the very least, I uh, get my hands on it in some other means. But I never got around to that. It just didn't happen. And then one lovely day, I saw on my Facebook stream that it is now available on Netflix. So Cobra Kai is where it was at. We put it on. Me and my wife binged. Uh, took a couple days because, you know, we live lives. But it took a couple days and we got it all in. And now we're all up to date. All two seasons watched. Only to be uh, disappointed by the fact that a season three is coming but not for a while, 2021. So we were a little 
upset about that. And uh, and but 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 let's talk about this series real quick, just real quick. The the takeaway that I got from uh, from Cobra Kai is that Daniel Larusso is a gigantic asshole. That's the that's the short version of it. And I know people are going to sit there and they're going to say, well, I mean, if you listen to Johnny's story, he comes off like an asshole. No, I mean, like, his actions in the show very much rubbed me as asshole things. There were a lot of assholey things that he was doing throughout this, throughout the fucking show that was irking me. And yeah, Johnny's an asshole, but Daniel is also an asshole. Very much so an asshole. These two are more peas in a pod than, than led to believe. But I guess that was the writing. I think that was the whole point of this. I love the direction of this show. I love how real they made it. The characters are way more three-dimensional than they ever were in the original uh, film series. There's so much more depth. There's so much more life to them. Uh, you feel for them on multiple levels. You feel bad for them. You feel happy for them. You feel mad at them. There's a lot of different things. Even Crease, They gave Crease another layer and for a minute it can almost grab you and then he goes back to being the old Crease again and it's just, if you listen to this show, you know me, I'm big on writing. I love writing. I love to appreciate good writing when I see it. That show has great writing. It was, I've seen a lot of throwback shows come back and they try to introduce new cast members and these are the kids and this is the new generation and it always falls flat. And more often than not, it falls flat because they never really get you to identify with the kids. They don't make them relatable. They don't put them in a position to really get the audience tied in as to whether or not you really care about the kids or the new characters, the new generation or whatever. This show didn't do that. This show had a very nice balance of bringing you old shit and then introducing the new shit. I'm not going to lie. I think about two or three episodes into the first season, I almost gave up because to me it was too cheesy. They were bringing back so much of the old shit. It was a little off-putting. But I get why they did it. They did it early to get it out of the way and grab the viewer, and now we're on to the new shit. They tipped their cap. They paid their homage. Now here's some of the new shit. And it's just, it's funny. It's funny. It's sad. It's, it's, there's a lot of emotions in watching this show. You, you feel excited. You feel upset. It's really, really good, and it's really, really cool. I haven't seen a show like this that's hooked me like this in a long time. And, of course, it comes from a franchise that I, I, I loved and respected when I was a kid, and it's a shame that, uh, you know, Pat did not live long enough. Pat Morietta, who played Mr. Miyagi back in the original franchise, uh, did not live long enough to see it, but he was already kind of an older gentleman even back then in the 80s. He was kind of an older gentleman, so that's, except, that's you know, that's a, that's, it is what it is. But they, they did a great tribute to him. They've mentioned him a lot throughout the course of the show a lot of things on the wall and and techniques and the car and everything it's all just fucking fantastic they did such a great job putting this show together it's ridiculous and i'm genuinely excited for season three i'm super hyped uh i just got some recent info on some people who will be making a return to the show uh who was in the original franchise i know i'm not going to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't seen it yet but there's a, a text message at the end not text messages i'm sorry a Facebook request at the end of the show that made me squeal like a girl. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming into season three that I think is going to be hilarious and gut-wrenching, especially the way that season two ended. So many question marks. So many different ways. They, they, I think uh, was it William Zapka, who plays uh, Johnny Lawrence, 
said, you know, that the, the season finale was like a grenade going off. There was just so many things happening. And it's absolutely true. Like, if you take the full ride for two full seasons and you get to that finale, you feel every bit of it. And it was just it's beautifully written. Beautifully written show. Even if you weren't a fan of the Karate Kid franchise back in the day, for whatever reason, it's cheesiness, it's campiness. It was a cheesy movie. It really was. You, if you look, uh, I think because of the success of the show, Karate Kid, the original, has been airing a lot on TV, basic cable, and even on the premium channels. And uh, I just happened to be studying the other day or doing something with with schoolwork, and it was on, and I left it on. And having seen Cobra Kai, and then watching the original back, I didn't plan on doing that, but I got a chance to do that. That was pretty sick because it filled in a lot of holes, man. And you got to see the campiness. It, it was a little campy. It was a little out there. Uh, so if you weren't a fan, really, of the uh, of the original franchise, I understand. But I really do believe that you should at least give this one a chance. It's not nearly as campy. It has a lot more serious acting and uh and comedic acting at the same time as well it's a lo- it's a great story it really is it's just from beginning to end it's just a great story there's so many levels to this but i can't give i only have two thumbs so i'm giving them both two thumbs up right here but this is an orsini recommendation check out cobra kai that show has been fantastic and the only other thing that we're going to talk about here today because uh I definitely want to dedicate my time to this because we need to talk about this. We need to. The minute I found out I may have been the only person on planet Earth that actually enjoyed this show, uh, I knew for a fact, okay, we got to talk about this. So for the sake of time, I will give you the two buy-in matches. There were two buy-in matches that were pretty good, that were pretty good. If you get a chance, they're still on YouTube. So you can check out AEW's official YouTube account and check out the buy-in. It's still there. Uh, if you get a chance, the other buy-ins are also there. And some of the performers that were on the buy-in, Joey Janela uh, with Sunny Kiss uh, and uh, Private Party and some members of the Dark Order, have been on previous buy-ins. So if you haven't really had a chance, check out AEW or any of those talents that I just mentioned. They're still on YouTube on their buy-ins, and the most recent one should be uploaded there. Uh, the first, uh, I believe it was the first... Uh, I don't know what order the buy-ins went because I didn't watch the buy-in. I wasn't home. I didn't make it in time. I barely just, I was, I walked in the door and turned it on and it was, we were just starting the big swole Britt Baker match. So I didn't get a chance to see the buy-in, but considering who's in them, I said, they're, I could tell you right now, they're pretty solid. They're pretty good. So Joey Janela with Sunny Kiss defeated Serpentico with Luther. And Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn defeated the Dark Orders. Alex Reynolds and John Silver, formerly known as the Beaver Boys here on the in, on the indie scene. I'm I'm not upset that they didn't take that name to AEW. <laughs> Being a part of the Dark Order, not bad. It's a good start for them. They're a really good tag team. So is Private Party. I've actually seen that match before live, so I know it was good. And uh, those were your buy-in matches. And not for nothing, though, those, I'm sure, were really good matches. I love the fact that they've decided to take the buy-ins a little bit more seriously than they did when they first started. A lot of goofy shit on those buy-ins, but these last two, last two, these last few uh, buy-ins have been really, really good. And I'm pretty sure this one might, you know, judging by what took place, might be one of the better ones. So check that out. Let's start at the top here. I don't normally go match for match. I don't normally go into review mode. I don't do that on this show. I don't review pay-per-views. I don't review cards. 
Uh, I'll give you results. That's about as close as I'm going to get because, again, and I'll say this at the top, I'm in the business. I work with a lot of people, and I work with some of these people as well. So it's no, I have no interest in sitting here and critiquing whether or not this was good or this was bad. I don't do that because that's not my place to do, nor is it anybody else's to do it with my shit. I respect people and their performances. I ask the same for them when my performances. I love criticism, and I love hearing what I did wrong so that I can get better. That is the mentality that I take when I talk about these pay-per-views and when I talk about uh, particular talents and what they did and what they didn't do. Having said that, that's my little disclaimer. Let's move forward. So I don't, again, we're not here to critique and we're not here to say this was bad, this was whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, we opened up with the tooth and nail match. That's Big Swole and Britt Baker. Uh, I was told this was in Britt Baker's actual legitimate dentist office. I'm not entirely sure if that's true or not. I haven't researched it. My wife brought up a good point. <laughs> Insurance-wise, it can't possibly be her actual office. <laughs> that's just too much. There's too much going on there. That, that can't be true. That, that it's her actual legitimate office. Uh I don't know if it's true or not, but I love the fact that Rebel was the secretary, and then Brit ba- I love the fact that Brick Baker was in full gear, like like Rebel was in scrubs for some reason, and because we're in a dentist's office, so I have no idea why she's in scrubs. But Big Swole uh, was just dressed casually, I guess. Whatever you know, she's dressed the way that she's dressed. Uh, of course, she's got the BLM uh, armband going, which all people wear to the dentist now. I'm sure. And uh, and here comes Britt Baker later on as Big Spool's walking around, and Britt Baker is in full, full fucking work uh, uh, wrestling gear, which was fantastic because it's dumb and it doesn't fit, but at the same time, it's Britt Baker. <laughs> something There's something that makes me feel like anything she does fits. There's something about the way that she pulls it off that's just hilarious. Uh, you can take it with a grain of salt what I say it because I've been saying it, and, and and if you're into this stuff, then keep being into it, I guess. But it's cinematic matches are not for me. I don't like it. I know recently I've done some videos myself cinematically, but not the matches. I, this is just a promotional tool that I don't mind it with promotional tools. It's like movie trailers and stuff like that. I don't like the matches being cinematic. It's just I've been having an issue with this since COVID started, so I'm not going to keep beating a dead horse if you've been following the show you know that if it's a cinematic match i didn't like it so i didn't like this one but for what it was it wasn't horrific what i liked about it is that it wasn't that long i mean shot for shot it was only 10 minutes and that's not including the walking around the telling the story you know the actual action itself might have been anywhere from five to seven so that's not bad. It's not horrible. It wasn't 30 minutes in a graveyard. It wasn't this this for what it was. I really didn't have much of a problem with it. Except the finish. Uh, Big Swole goes over on Britt Baker here. And unless you're planning to go full throttle with Big Swole, I didn't see the point in this. Britt Baker obviously is the bigger star of the two. Uh, in my opinion, has the bigger upside. Big Swole is a fantastic competitor. Great athlete. She's just now getting her feet wet on the national television scene. But Britt Baker, you know, Britt Baker was supposed to be the center point. Wasn't she supposed to be the chick in this division when they first started it? And then they just fell off on her very early. They forced a heel turn. She made the heel turn work. And now here she is losing again. I don't I don't understand. Who did Britt Baker piss off? 
that she just continuously, like, how hard does Brit have to work to be the centerpiece here? It's, she should have been the obvious centerpiece from the beginning. I didn't get her at first either. She was, when she was green, when she first got on TV, she, she was new, new. You know, so the stuff she was doing, it didn't really fit. You know, she didn't really have a character or a place to go or a roadmap to anything. She just kind of did things. Now, with this Britt Baker DDS thing that she's got going on, she went from I don't know what she's doing to how the hell is she losing any matches right now? She just came off of an injury where she not only was injured uh, at the point of her rise, so to speak, as a character, Whilst she was injured, she got over more. She got over better. And her reward is to do a job in her own office to Big Swole. And again, that's not taking anything away from Big Swole, but Britt's been here longer and definitely needed this win. So I don't know what's going on with that. Unless they have other plans that I'm not privy to, that was an awkward thing. So this was a rough start here. So for those of you who are like, I wasn't really big on this pay-per-view. Thus far, at this point, I was agreeing with you. Until we got to the next match. Oh, boy. So, the next match was a match I wasn't anticipating. I was looking at the card earlier that day, and I was actually surprised to not see the Young Bucks on that card. And then the pay-per-view was on, and here come the Young Bucks. So, I was like, oh, okay, they... Must have been like a last-minute edition. The Young Bucks met Nick Jackson against the Jurassic Express of Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, accompanied, of course, by their mascot, I'm assuming, Marco Stunt. So I said, okay, they're on the card, they found their way here, and they're going to be second. Now, as I told you guys on the show, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, because I know last week we did the Chad with Bozeman thing. I can't remember. I was like five episodes of, Dar- of Dynamite out i i missed a lot of shows uh not because i'm not on purpose i didn't skip them but i i just hadn't had a chance to really sit down and watch them and then i just binged them straight through and the young bucks i was under the impression that when ftr started that that was going to be the beginning of ftr and the young bucks i thought this is a layup This is an easy one, right? Big money match. The Young Bucks and FTR. And you can get a program going with them. And you can end it with a number one contenders match. And then they go against the tag champs and blah, 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 blah. There was a lot you can do with the Bucks and FTR. And I think a lot of people kind of fantasy booked in their head. I'm, I'm of course, one of them. You know, a lot of different things I would like to see them do. At no point in time did I I ever imagine in my head that what they would what they would end up doing is is what they were gonna do. If that makes any sense. I never dreamed that FTR would come into the ring in a, in an AEW ring and look across the ring from the Young Bucks and shake their hands and shit. And befriend them and be on the same page with them. It didn't make sense. <laughs> it didn't make sense. And then they kind of started teasing it a little bit and as we got closer, a couple of weeks, blah, 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 we got more of a heel vibe from FTR. And and then FTR ended up turning heel, but not on the Bucks. They turned on the rock and roll and they found the legends, and they started this whole new faction, a very horseman-like faction. They threw a name out last night. I don't remember what it is. Sorry. 
but I just kept calling them horsemen because that's what they that's what the and the commentators kept saying they're very horseman like. So we skip forward now to this pay per view, and FTR has a, and the Young Bucks have not collided at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. FTR is facing Omega and pa- and Page for the tag titles, and the Young Bucks were an afterthought on this show. And then I thought to myself, all right, well, that's going to, I'm sure that's going to stick in their crawl a little bit. And they're probably going to go out there and do all kinds of fucking ridiculous shit to make up for it. And so, well, I'm, I don't think I'm going to allow that to happen and, and not steal the show. So I went into this match with my usual young buck expectations. I said, this is what's going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. And, and I, it's live, so I can't fast forward it. So here we go. But I'm glad I didn't have the opportunity to fast forward it because I watched this and I got to tell you, this was one of my favorite Young Buck matches in AEW. This one right here. I know everyone points to the Young Bucks against Omega and Paige from, what was that, Revolution? This was the one for me. And the reason why this one was the one for me is because we actually, I've never seen the Young Bucks take their time the way they did in this match. This was, I want to say, the slowest. But I saw, they ha- I actually had a chance to have things register in this match. I love this match. A lot of people shit on this match. And again, I'm going to explain why you did. I know why you hated it. I know why you hated it. You hated it for the exact reason why I loved it. Because they wrestled a fucking wrestling match. They had a tag team wrestling match and it burns you that's why you're so fucking upset i told you you weren't gonna like the reasoning but the reasoning is true they had a fucking wrestling match which when i saw this match i thought to myself now i know why they didn't pull the fucking trigger on the bucks and ftr now i understand because they are a money match but in order for them to be a money match there's got to be a want not just some internet bullshit between the two of them i mean some real want some actual reasoning for the young bucks and ftr to finally fucking clash and the young bucks turned heel now if if you're thinking to yourself the bucks being heel and ftr being heel that that means they're going to be even farther apart correct right they are and that's the point i think i think we're going to build toward the bucks and ftr the right way on AEW not through some internet bullshit that nobody's fucking paying attention to except for some of the marks. All right? Some of the BTE people, they'll understand where this feud's coming from. But for for regular folk who don't follow their YouTube channel, we don't know what the beef is between the Bucks and FTR. They've mentioned it a few times, but no real footage because they can't show footage because a lot of that shit was Ring of Honor and New Japan footage, so they can't show that. FTR's responses can't be shown because that's WWE footage. They have nothing to back up their story. So... They have to make a story. And I think it started here. And the Young Bucks still did a lot of their shit. They still got a lot of shit in. But they were methodical. They let each move breathe. They went for heat when they super kicked Marco Stunt. They Every time I tell people I don't like the Young Bucks as, as a wrestling tag team, I like them as an attraction. I always get told the same thing. Well, they can wrestle traditional tag team matches. They just choose not to. And it never made sense to me as to why they would choose not to. You're a wrestling tag team. Wrestling tag team matches. That makes sense to me. But now I understand. 
Now I understand. Today I learned why the Young Bucks always have these crazy, suicidal, unnecessary fucking spots in their fucking matches. Like Canadian Destroyers on top of people to the ring and all kinds of goofy shit. Now I understand. Because the Young Bucks have trained and have conditioned their fans to believe that these car wrecks should be the norm for them. So when the Young Bucks do pull back and do wrestle in traditional matches, and for them, traditional matches still look spotty as shit. They're still doing their shit. Kicks to the corner, dual super kicks, all placement, finding each person in the right spot, dies to the outside. They still did all that shit. They just did it with a different swagger. They did it with a different intention, and they let it register, and each person got a chance to sell, and it was beautiful. I liked it. I even liked the fact, and I don't know how many of you picked up on this, but there's a reason that I really liked the finish as well. It was, I thought, when they had brought uh, Jungle Boy in, that they were going to hit more bang for your buck. I thought for sure we'd see the... the uh, the uh, the uh, the dual splashes from the Bucks, the, you know, more bang for your buck when they do that front flip dive and then a 450 and a moonsault and all that stuff. I thought for sure that's exactly what we're going to get, and we ended up getting I forgot what they called it, the BTV trigger, uh, where they both pull the arm and they both come in with knees to the to the fucking head. It was a heel finish. They didn't do anything flashy. They didn't do anything off the top rope. It was just a straight tag team strike. Boom, down, and nothing. Jungle Boy, um, excuse me, Luchasaurus was down. Marco's stunt was down. They took advantage of Jungle Boy, hit him with dual knees, boom. Nothing fancy, nothing crazy. Straight up stiff city, bad guys. Loved it. I loved it. If the Young Bucks can wrestle that match every night, I'd be a huge fucking fan. I'm not a fan of 450s to the floor for no fucking reason. I'm not a fan for a lot of the shit they do. Again, I've worked with them. I've called their matches. They're great fucking guys. But I love them as fucking heels. That California cocky, arrogant swag that they usually carry with their characters fits better as heels. Always has. The Young Bucks' whole career, they have always been effective as heels. They're not effective as baby faces. They're just not. Because you're, for them to get over as baby faces, they have to raise the bar. Simply being baby faces is not enough. They don't care. People only care about the Bucks as baby faces when they're killing themselves. As heels, they get heat when they're just the arrogant prick kids from California making fun of people and making everyone feel like they're underneath them, that they're the superior team for real. Think of that speech they gave not too long ago about, we've been the best tag team in the last 10 years. As a baby face tag team, that sounds weird. Because why would you gloat about that? Especially since there's so many people on the internet that's going to tell you that shit ain't even true. But if you said that same sentence, but you're a heel, it just comes off better. You get more heat with it. It's just overall better. <laughs> if the Young Bucks are going to stay heels, this is great. I want to see more of this. I actually believe they'll be able to actually get over more tag teams like this in the heel position like this. Pri rematch the private party match. Rematch some of these tag matches they have had where they tried to get young guys over. This is the way that you're going to get them over. Tell a story like this as heels. 
and then you'll be way more effective. And they got to get over so many more people. And this is the version of the Young Bucks that should win the tag titles. Everyone's like, well, Cody doesn't want to put the belt on himself because he's an EVP. Uh, Kenny doesn't want to put the belt on himself because he's an EVP. The Young Bucks don't want to put belts on themselves because they're EVPs. Fuck that. If you're the biggest draw, if you're the best way for AEW to make money, put the fucking belt on you. And this version of the Young Bucks, that's tag team championship material right there. They've already proven that they can carry belts all around the world. Matter of fact, the, the only belts they really haven't done it with, obviously, are WWE and their own company. We just got new tag team champions in FTR. Let's go forward with FTR right now as heel as, as the top heel tag team. And the Young Bucks can work underneath as a heel tag team until they're ready to go babyface again. And then they'll be the top team again. The Young Bucks have the capability of being the top team anytime they want. Anytime they desire. Not because they were in the company, but because they're actually that talented. Anytime that they want to turn it on, they can turn it on. It's just a matter of when. So I'd write the, I would ride this out right now and see where this goes because they can do it very, like for instance, like what Cody did with the TNT Championship, right? The Young Bucks can do a lot of that with underneath tag teams and getting, to, getting them to showcase on Dynamite or on Dark and really get some new blood into that tag team division. It was being run for nine months by two individual stars. We finally have a team hold a championship, and we'll see where that goes. And we'll get to that in a second, too. So uh, one of the matches I heard so much about that we're like, oh, that was bad. I loved it. Another one that I was kind of iffy about, but it, 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 it worked itself out. The Casino Battle Royal, 21-man Casino Battle Royale. I'm not going to go through all the names that were in this. The, the suits, the, the way that they do. Okay, let me explain the way that for someone who didn't see the show or don't know, because this isn't their first Casino Battle Royale, right? So what happens is, is they have five groups, okay? They don't do staggered entrances like a Royal Rumble where it's one at a time every three minutes. It is staggered in a sense of timing, but it's also done by suits like playing cards, the hearts, spades, diamonds, clubs, and then there's a joker, right? The joker is usually one person, and it's usually a surprise. The other four suits all contain, I think it's about five people each. That's where you get your 20 and your 21st man or female, because last time they did a battle royal was a women's one, uh, is the Joker. So, that's the setup. There's five guys in each suit. I'm not going to go through each fucking name. But here's some of the problems that I had, and then here's some of the good that I think came from this. So, the first problem I had, <laughs> the first problem that I had, uh, and now I, I, as, the, as the battle royal progressed, I found out why it happened, but I still have a problem with it. Involves my boys Santana and Ortiz. A lot of those suits had tag teams apart. For some reason, Santana and Ortiz were the only tag team on the same suit. Which worked out for what they wanted to do, which was continue the thing with best friends. And I love the fact that they... That, that, I'm starting off with something bad, but this is actually one of the good. I don't like the fact that they were on the same suit. I think you should have stayed consistent with that as far as splitting teams up and, and trying to make it as evenly as possible. I thought it was too convenient a booking to have them on the same suit. But what, what they did with that actually was really cool because Santana and Ortiz were able to continue a high-profile tag team angle that's going on on the show right now through the course of the Battle Royal. And they're not the only ones that did that. There were a few angles that were ran into throughout the course 
uh, of this uh, entire battle royal. Darby Allen and Ricky Starks are still doing their thing back and forth. They got a, they gave us a nice tease between Lance Archer and Brian Cage. They were able to accomplish a lot with this particular Casino Battle Royal. As a matter of fact, I can make an argument this might have been the best one they've done so far because of how clean that booking was throughout. A lot of guys hit their high points, and, and it was good. We're back to the negative now. The Joker. Now, I know you're going to say, oh, AJ, you're not going to give Matt Seidel shit for fucking up. No, I'm not going to give him shit for fucking up. Anybody could fuck up. And just like he said on his own Twitter, he's never fucked that up before in his life. And, wow, that's a horrible time for the one time, but it is the one time, so you don't have... I'm not going to give Matt Seidel shit for fucking up a shooting star press. This guy is one of the great innovators of that damn shooting star press. His ability to pull that off is poetry his shooting star press alone got him signed to the wwe i'm still convinced of that but uh i'm not a big fan of the joker position not so much matt seidel and the reason for that is because you're setting the bar right you're conditioning your audience to believe that every joker is going to be this huge deal the first time they did this the joker was adam page right and I get it. He was the, he he's he was your future star, the guy you're gonna build around, which they're probably still gonna do. We'll get to that later when we get to the Adam Page match. Uh, it made sense. It flowed through. He ended up winning, which is like winning from the number thirty spot on the first Rumble. So I'm every guy after that obviously was not gonna win from the Joker spot, but they pulled that part off very good the first time. After that. It gets a little dicey now. They did the same thing with the women's battle royal. The Joker is this big surprise. It was, uh, was oh, what the hell was that? Virus and threat protection. Fuck you, Windows Defender, and your summary. I don't need your notification shit right now. So yeah, you don't want to condition your audience to believe that the Joker is going to be this big name every fucking time. You know, you can do different stories with that, and I hope they play with that a little bit more. I'm not really huge on the whole joker part of the battle royal but they were able to tell some stories and they were able to do some things again i'm actually i was kind of iffy about because of the certain things that i just mentioned but overall didn't think he was huge didn't think it took away this was actually one of the shorter ones so that's good too 22 minutes 15 seconds so that's not bad and it was uh, it, it it you can make an argument that lance archer yes should have won that because they're still trying to make sure he's in a high profile situation but my heart jumped when it was Eddie Kingston that was right there with him toward the end, and I didn't like that whole snake deal. I get he's afraid of the snake, and but they, the way they executed that was just, uh, yeah, the, the way that they did that with the snake. It just looked like, like Jake Roberts was just sitting there with a fucking bag. I didn't believe that the, I didn't actually believe there was a fucking snake in there. I'll put it to you like that. Because you know Eddie was late to sell it, and then th- there's there's the, he, there's holding this bag, and normally Jake wouldn't just hold the bag; he'd pull the fucking thing out. I don't know if it's a COVID deal. They might have actually been a snake in there, and he was just asleep. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but I got this vibe, like there wasn't really a fucking snake in there. But whatevs. So we're moving on to the next match, and this one, oh boy. All right, this is the one here where we're gonna have to. Uh, Burn through some shit. We're going to talk about some shit here, okay? The, the next matchup was the Broken Rules match. Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara, and if Matt Hardy loses, he would have to leave, 
AEW. Let's start with the stipulation because that's what I'm hearing a lot about too. People were like, well, they didn't need the stipulation. For those of you who don't know, Matt Hardy was severely injured in this match. Big time, big time injury. And he got knocked out and there was a discussion that took place. We'll talk about that discussion in a second. And he, they rang the bell for the match to continue and they had a few more minutes of match, <clears throat> and then Matt Hardy won and defeated Sammy Guevara. And this gave me a lot of Austin versus Owen Hart vibes. If you are familiar with that story, you'll understand. I got the sense that Matt Hardy got his bell rung, and they called it as a precaution because they probably figured, yeah, he's really done. But then they reinstated it. And they said, okay, let the match continue. And they did, they did all that so that Matt could win. Because if he loses, he's gone. And that's going to be another booking issue. I'm trying to get Matt Hardy back on TV. And it reminded me a lot of Austin versus Owen Hart at SummerSlam 97. It was for the Intercontinental Championship. And Austin had made the stipulation that if he can't beat Owen Hart's ass, he's going to kiss it. And that was the whole deal. It was title for ass. If Austin won, he became the Intercontinental Champion. If Owen won, Austin Austin had to get on his knees and kiss Owen Hart's ass. Pucker up. So, of course, as everyone knows by now, the story, Owen Hart whips uh, Austin off into the ropes, turns him over, tilt the world style, puts him in a tombstone position, sits out, breaks his neck. So, in Austin's own words, he's sitting on the mat, barely with any feeling, and he rolls over, he crawls over, and he gives Owen Hart the absolute worst roll-up in the history of roll-ups and beats Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship, only for him to have to relinquish it, obviously, because he was legitimately hurt. But everyone involved knew that if Austin was to lose this match, he'd have to kiss ass, and that would kill the whole gimmick. It would kill the whole run. Can't have Austin kissing any ass. So they did what they had to do. It, was, it looked shitty. It was a shitty ending. But at least no one died. Same thing here. Matt Hardy, <clears throat> excuse me, Matt Hardy and Samuel Guevara are having a match. It is a broken rules match, but essentially as the announcers, again, with the announcers on this fucking show and on AEW, it's a broken rules match. And even the announcers are like, it's essentially a false count anywhere match. They're just shitting on the whole stip, which is, it's neither here nor there. It's whatever. I, I it's a broken rules match. There are ways to word that where, you know, but but the, the way they said it, they were just like, it's, it's essentially a, a false count anywhere match. And I was like, whatever, all right. Just, you just buried the whole gimmick, but all right, let's do it. And it really was essentially a false count anywhere match. Like, the, the rules stayed the same. They counted to 10, blah, 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 blah. But Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara got on what was called a scissor lift. I didn't know that was the fucking name of that thing. I have been on those things a thousand times, and I've and I've elevated them, and and I've used them. I've driven around with them shits. I have never heard it called a scissor lift before, but apparently that's what it's called. And they got on there, and uh, Matt Hardy went for a side effect for uh, Sammy fights out, and he hits him with a tackle. And the spot is supposed to be Sammy tackles Matt Hardy down uh, on top of two tables. Okay, there were two tables set up. They were clothed. They had black cloth over them. Uh, but they were essentially two tables. And I guess the idea was a flat bump on the two tables, and they were going to hot dog it, right? It's going to look like a hot dog. The meat hits the bun, bam. The two tables 
crumble around the two wrestlers, and that should be it. Uh, a spot that we have all seen Matt Hardy do a thousand times. However, I don't know if the machine was too close or the table was too close. My wife saw the footage with me. We reviewed it a thousand times. I must have seen that bump a thousand times today. And we were of the conclusion that that spot was executed flawlessly. The problem was the tables were in a bad position. They were too close. So what happens is, is Matt takes the bump. Sammy goes with him. To Sammy's credit, it was a spear or a tackle, but not one that required Sammy's body weight to be over Matt. Sammy was off to the side. Uh, it was more of a nudge when you really look at it. So it, Matt w- seemed to me like he was in control, and Sammy didn't seem to get in the way. But it was clear that they overshot. Uh, Matt Hardy hit his head, literally smacked it on the floor. Sammy, if you look at the replay, and like I said, I've looked at it a thousand times, and one of the angles that I got to see was an overhead, not an overhead shot. It was a, a view straight to the table where their heads were. And I, you get a good sense that Matt hit his head, but I think what gets lost in this also is Sammy hit everything. Sammy's thigh, leg, took the, the usual bump you would take from a tackle where you would land on your side. All that hit the fucking floor, too. I don't know how much of his ass or the back of end of him hit that table, but it's clear from that angle a lot of him hit the concrete as well. Uh, so I don't know how he's doing, but I know that the bigger problem here is Matt, not Sammy. I'm not trying to take away from Matt's injury. I'm just stating what I saw. It looked like both of them kind of got overshot a little on that table. And Matt Hardy visibly did not know where he was. He did not know at all what was going on. And uh, there was a bell that rang indicating the end of the match, according to insiders that were backstage Tony had called the match he sent the doctor out the doctor had a conversation with Matt Matt's walking around all crazy and all of a sudden we we hear a bell and Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara are fighting again as a matter of fact Matt Hardy went looking for Sammy Guevara then he hit hit him with that weird DDT on the floor they did a few more things ended up in a big bump for Sammy and, and Matt wins the match now that's all that really needs to be said about the match. You can't really critique. You can't really sit here and say what was good and what wasn't really good with this matchup. So it's the fallout, really, when you think about it, that is becoming more the story. Now, okay, so uh, Matt Hardy obviously received medical attention at the end of that matchup, of which hospitalization was a must. They they hospitalized. They sent him to the hospital, ASAP. Apparently, he was in the hospital well into the evening, all the way up until today, and then eventually was released uh, to go home. They ran tests to make sure there was no swelling, no stress fractures, nothing in the arteries, nothing that can catch up with him later, as far as bleeding and swelling in the head. He was cleared of all this, and then he was sent home. That's what we know so far about him, and his, and, and that's the update. But that that's it. That's the update. Everything else around that has become a circus at this fucking point. And the wife, Reby Hardy, which we've had conversations about her on this show in the past, 
uh, for once, this is the one time I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it one time, and it's a, it's it's going to hurt to say. But normally, I would I would be really cautious with my words when it comes to Reby Hardy because her mouth is a fucking problem. And I'm sure that's not the first time she's heard it, and I'm sure it's not the first time someone's told her that. In a, in, a, in a business capacity, her mouth is a fucking problem. Big time. Big time. Does not know when to shut the fuck up. There's, there's, and this is not a sexist thing. This is not a woman thing. There are a lot of powerful, smart, quick women out there that know exactly how to exact revenge, exactly how to tell a story, exactly how to put someone in their place without being an outright ass. And she's not one of those people. However, in this particular instance, she is 100%, 1,000% in the fucking right. 1,000% in the right. There's, she has every right to say everything she's fucking saying. Because every piece of shit on the internet is, has got a Matt Hardy story without being there, without knowing anything. Every dirt sheet, every website, everyone has a Matt Hardy story. Except for Matt fucking Hardy. And the one person who is supposed to be in control of all this madness apparently has zero control. None. And that's Tony Khan, the guy who runs the show over at AEW. You can call Cody and Omega and the Young Bucks and everybody else who's on the higher up and running the show on the business end, on the wrestling end, blah, 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 blah. Tony Khan signs the goddamn checks. It's Tony Khan makes the stories, he's the creator, he's the money mark, he's the one running the show. And he is learning very, very quickly that the bill of goods that he was sold when it comes to wrestling fans is starting to become a lesson. A, a day. This has been a 24-hour period of pure outright education because I've had to talked to dear old Uncle Tony a few times on this show when he un, un fucking provoked started throwing shit out there about Hogan and Linda Hogan and putting himself on a pedestal and setting himself up to be held to certain standards and then backtracking on Excalibur and for Sammy Guevara and just there's all this stuff going on and now currently I actually have it in front of me so, Reedy tweeted out that it was very clearly, that Matt Hardy was very, very clearly concussed. Okay? Very, very clearly. I am, unfortunately, uh, uh, experienced when it comes to concussions. I've had three of them. Uh, one minor, two severe. One of which, I think I've told this before on the show, my left eye is colorblind. This is something that I've lived with for... Shit, fifteen, fifth? No, longer than that. Almost twenty years. My left eye. My left eye is the lazy one. <laughs> and I've had concussions, and I know what it's like to be concussed. I know how shitty that feels. How warm your body gets. The dizziness. The throbbing. You just want to go to sleep. You just want to pass out. It's, it's, I've been there. You want to throw up. First time I ever got a concussion, the first thing I wanted to do was take a shit. And I was prepared to shit on myself. That's how much it hurt. I've been there. 
I understand how that feels. But I also understand what it feels like to be injured inside of a wrestling ring or in a wrestling capacity in this case and not want to be the guy who couldn't finish. There's a lot of pride and there's a lot of ego involved in some of these top stars, including a guy like Matt Hardy who's not going to... His shirt says it all, Matt Hardy will not die. It's just something that he is a mantra that he's given himself. And sometimes these performers have to be stopped from themselves. It's 2020. There shouldn't be a reason where any wrestler is being forced to have to continue. And I'm not saying AEW forced him to continue. I'm not saying Tony made the call. Fuck him. Let him go. But Matt Hardy, I'm almost 100% sure if there was a conversation between the doctor and Hardy like the doctor says, and he passed the protocols just like the doctor says, I'm pretty sure some of that conversation for Matt Hardy is, I'm good to go. I'm pretty sure Matt Hardy pulled, uh, forced the issue and tried to get that match finished, if for no other reason just to save face on the stip. Which another people, which a lot of people are pointing to. Well, if they wouldn't have had the stipulation, they would have stopped it. The stipulation wasn't a problem before the match. Don't make it a problem now. People are saying, well, if they didn't have that fucking stipulation, it's true that that stipulation was way fucking unnecessary. But if he wouldn't have been hurt, you wouldn't have cared about the stipulation. So don't make that a part of the argument now. We're past that. Let's use some basic common sense. And the basic common sense will tell you that this was a match, this was a program that Matt Hardy really, really, really wanted to help get a guy like Sammy Guevara over. Matt Hardy was, is one of the older guys who wanted to try to help this young guy get over and established as a star and be seen as a much bigger player than he currently is. And Matt Hardy is known for being extreme. That's what he's known for. He's known for being extreme. So Matt Hardy wanted to get, lend a little bit of his legacy, a little, bit of his, a little bit of his legend, to try to help get this Sammy Guevara kid over. That was the plan. I get that. I respect that. Knock it off. Knock it off. Team Extreme... And all that stuff. I thought the purpose of the broken gimmick was so that he didn't have to do goofy shit anymore. And then I thought he was done with the broken stuff. And then we're back here again. Again, it took me a while to catch up as far as the show goes. When Guevara threw that chair weeks ago and split him from fucking ear to ear, that should have been a sign and a half for your ass that this feud is going to get reckless. I should probably slow the fucking thing down. And then Matt Hardy gave the receipt, and everyone saw that, and that was what it was. And now this. So I know a lot of people are going to jump on Sammy because it's the quick thing. He's becoming the new Nia Jax, right? But this is, Matt Hardy is the veteran in this situation. He cannot be on scaffolds anymore. Can we make that a rule now? No more falling off a high shit for Matt Hardy. Any Hardy, for that matter? Can we get Jeff included in the new, the no high spot for Hardy's rule? Can we end this shit at this point? Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, uh, nine minutes total. I think they had a longer match planned. It, sh it was nine minutes too long. They, they Think about it. With everything included, it was nine minutes, which means that that high spot we just talked about was early on in the fucking match. There was no need for that spot. There's so many different things they could have done in that matchup that didn't require that spot. It's just 
I'm sure Matt Hardy just, this is what I do, right? This is how I get guys over. I get guys over like this. This is going to work. And it doesn't need to work. Not like this. You got kids. This is the same card I played with Daniel Bryan, the same card I played with Edge. I'm playing it with Matt Hardy now. You've got fucking kids. You can't take these fucking bumps anymore. Period. End of story. If you're going to work matches, work matches. But you are retired from the hardcore shit. It's over. This extreme life bullshit is done. Live your life, Matt. You got a family at home. Your wife is hot. She's got a yap on her, but she's fucking hot. She takes care of you. She's down for you. She loves you. You got kids that are beautiful kids. You got a couple boys down there that have a whole life to live, and they'd love to be able to play with dad. You know, and if something happens to you, you take a bump like that, and you start hemorrhaging from the fucking head. What are they going to tell the kids? Oh, well, shit happens. That's not a good reason to lose your fucking dad. Shit happens. So there, there's that. I wanted to quote one more thing here, too, about these tweets. So Rebe had tweeted about the concussion. I, I got off topic, so I'm going to finish this, and I'm going to finish up with this matchup. So Tony Khan put out a tweet that I promise you will haunt him for the rest of his fucking days. An update on Matt Hardy. It's great news. Matt's okay. We sent him to the hospital as a precaution. Bullshit. We sent him to the hospital because he had a fucking concussion. But I'll continue with the tweet. And he's passed the MRI and CT scans. He doesn't have a concussion. Bing, that's the line right there that will fuck you until the end of time. We'll come back to the concussion line. And he's been driven home now. Oh, he's been driven home. He didn't have a concussion. He couldn't drive himself home. Matt will be at Dynamite on Wednesday night. I can't wait to see that. To thank you, amazing fans, for your support. To thank his thank fans for the support. Is he retiring? Come on, Tony. You've let us know literally everything else we didn't have to know. Tell us more. Underneath that is a doctor. Marshall Mahan. Mahan. Whatever. MD. Now, I was under the impression this is the doctor that was working on Matt. From what I understand, I'm not entirely sure that's true or not. So I'm not stating this is the doctor. Or if it's just a doctor. But here's here's his, he had a reply tweet to Tony Khan. The CT and MRI were not testing for concussion. There is no scan or lab test for concussion. He lost consciousness after head trauma. By definition, that is a concussion. The CT is to check for gross bleeds and the MRI is to look for damage. Neither can rule out a concussion. So Tony Khan, MD over here, is telling the world, Matt Hardy didn't have a concussion, he's fine. Bullshit. You don't fall two stories to the fucking concrete floor with the back of your fucking skull and not get a concussion. That first concussion I I told you guys about, which was a minor one, I was standing straight up on the ground, slipped and fell back, and I got a fucking concussion. This fucker took a tackle off of a fucking scissor lift onto a concrete floor. No concussion, my dick. Impossibly, as they say in the French. Impossible. Fucking impossible. There is no... Look at the fucking footage. It does not take... It does not take a John Hopkins fucking graduate to tell you this fucker had a clear fucking concussion. Look at his face when the match was over and had the camera shot on his face. He looked like he was welcoming death into his life. Which leads me to my last point about this. We're gonna we gotta wrap this up. Tony Khan 
Actually, I'm going to say that. That's my closing line. We're going to go back to Tony in a second. Let's get through this card here. The next match was for the AEW Women's Championship. It was Hakira Shida defending the AEW Women's title against Thunder Rosa, who was the NWA Women's Champion. This match was fantastic. This is the match that everyone is claiming. Either this one or the tag team title match are claiming as the best match of the night. The women stepped up here, and that's bad for AEW. Great for the show. I liked it. And actually great for NWA. (laughs) Bad for AEW. Because there were a few NWA women that have made their debuts in AEW recently in the weeks coming up leading up to this, and they all look like fantastic performers. Thunder Rosa is one of the best performers in the world. And so is Sheeta. So they went out there and they had a great match. I don't see anybody else in the AEW women's division that put up a match with Sheeta that Thunder Rosa did. And I don't know if any of them can. Not in this setting. They have talent. AEW's women's division has talent. Don't let anybody tell you any different. There's a lot of women on that roster that can go. There's just nobody on that in that company that can put them in the position to go. They, they, don't, they don't know how to use their women's division. They just don't. They've got talent. They just don't know how to present them. Not in the way that NXT and WWE have, have found. Now, I know people are going to hear that. They're going to go, what do you mean? The way they present the four horsewomen? Because everyone else is buried. Actually, yes. That's exactly what I mean. Because at least the WWE still has those four. AEW ain't got four. They tried the Riho experiment. We've never seen that chick ever again. Sheeta is doing a hell of a job as champ. Nyla Rose can do a good job as champ as long as they stop beating her into the fucking ground. They paired it with Vicky Guerrero for apparently zero fucking reason. I haven't heard shit about this fucking tournament at all. I don't even know what's happening with that tournament. They announced a 16-team tournament. They don't have enough to field 16 teams. It's a fucking mess. It's, it's shambles, that entire division. But this match was great. So I, the lesson here I took from this is you need to either find more women who are going to be able to do it like this or you need to give your women a platform to do better. Because I haven't seen a Sheeta match. The Sheeta Rose match where Sheeta won the title, I like that match too. But I haven't seen Sheeta in a match since that was even remotely interesting until this one. This one was good. Sheeta and Rosa went back and forth. This was great. We saw some innovative offense in this one too. So this was really, really good. I like this one a lot. A lot of people did. The next match, eight-man tag team match, uh, the Dark Order, Brody Lee, Cole Cabana, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson, their top four in my opinion, uh, going against Matt Cardona, Scorpio Sky, The Natural Nightmares, and Q- oh, the Natural Nightmares, Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall, along with Allie and Brandy Rhodes, who, I, from what I remember, got choked the fuck out and still found her way on this fucking show. Uh, there's not much to say about this. I made my statement about the colors. I don't like people. I don't like opposing competitors wearing similar colors to each other. There was purple on both sides. I wasn't a big fan of that. The match was what it was. Eight-man tag back and forth. It wasn't horrible. They all played a role. I love the storytelling of Roy Lee waiting until the opportune moment to get into the ring. He is the current TNT champion. Uh, that belt was not defended on this show, which I thought also was great because there were so many other championships defended. That was cool. Uh, the finish. I didn't like the finish. I like the match. I love the... Fo- How is Dustin Rhodes, like, the best promo and worker in the company? He's, like, a thousand years old. The only thing about this I didn't like was that finish, because the finish didn't make any... Fu- this is what I told my wife when I watched it, and I was yelling, so I had to calm myself. If you're going to lie to me, 
lie to me. If you're going to try to in- introduce logic to me, you better have good logic. I don't mind being lied to. It's wrestling. I get lied to all the time. But if you're going to try to give me logic, if you're going to try to give me a story to follow, then do it right. Because you'll lose me really, really quick. This finish did not make sense to me. So Brody Lee beats up Dustin Rhodes. Leaves him laying. Beats him up. Tags in Colt Cabana. Colt Cabana goes up to the top rope. Goes for that frog splash. Dustin moves out of the way. Uh, Colt eats the mat. Stands straight up. Dustin rolls him up. One, two, three. Wins, right? And the whole deal, like, even Brody Lee, like, started pushing Colt Cabana around. Everyone started getting mad. They started yelling at him. Da, da, da. And the commentators even said, you know, that uh, that was an extra move that didn't need doing. You know, Brody Rhodes. Brody Rhodes. <laughs> Brody Lee beat up Dustin Rhodes. He was right for the pick, and all Colt needed to do was pin him. He didn't need the move. It was extra, and it cost him, and it cost his team the win. And that, to me, makes zero fucking sense. If Brody Lee beat up Dustin Rhodes, because it wasn't like he tagged Cody. I mean, Cody. He tagged Colt, and Colt started juking and jiving and shimmying and walking the apron and taking his time and doing a little powder puff pin with the arm over the chest or something stupid. Brody tagged Colt. Colt immediately went to the top and executed a frog splash. That whole sequence might have taken 10 seconds. And then Dustin Rhodes moved out of the way, got up, and rolled Colt up and beat him 1-2-3 and slid out of the way. Clearly, Brody Lee did not beat Dustin Rhodes up damn near to death. Clearly, Brody Lee did not beat up Dustin so bad that the pin was just a foregone conclusion. Because literally within the span of eight seconds, he was up and moving again and pinned your partner. So if you want to put the blame on anybody, it's Brody Lee for tagging out in the fucking first place instead of just booting this dude like a roach and ending this whole man's career right then and there. That would have worked out equally well. I didn't like it. I don't like anything that happens with the Dark Order. But again, I like the match. If you watch the match back, it's actually a pretty good eight-man tag. It, it wasn't really that that outrageous sometimes with, with with multiple tags they like to get the crowd going with a big kerfuffle and a bunch of guys beating it. they didn't really do a whole lot of that it was a straight up standard eight-man tag team match and it was dope and this was the match if i'm not mistaken that had anna jay and uh jim ross got hit with the line uh i just had it up a second ago too let me see where is it where's the line i just lost it uh did, i think he said uh did, did anna jay just have a world drove function or is that wishful thinking and uh, here, here it is right here. WWE announcer Jim Ross under fire for hoping for female wrestler's wardrobe. He's, now he's hoping for it. Because when he woke up that morning, he was like, God damn, I hope Anna Jay's outfit fucking fucks up on her so I can see some titty. That's not how that works, folks. He made a fucking joke. Was it a shitty joke? Yeah, perhaps, maybe, sure, fine. But it was a fucking joke. He makes jokes about the guys all the fucking time. I've I've heard Jim Ross literally say things on camera more. It's very clear to me he's he's just there for the just getting paid guys. That's it. <laughs> he's he's he lost his wife a while ago, and he's been struggling ever since. And he's he's just waiting for death to take him at this point, guys. Seriously, you think he gives a shit about Anna Jay's wardrobe at all? He was trying to be cute. He was trying to be funny. It didn't work. And then that's the end of it. If you think anything's really going to happen to him for that, I don't know what to fucking tell you. Our next matchup is for the AEW World Tag Team Championship FTR. Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood defeat 
and Unthrown. A very game, Kenny Omega and Adam Page, the tag team champions here. And I got to tell you, uh, my money is on this match as the best match of the night. Close to it is the main event, which we'll get to in a little bit. But FTR and Kenny Omega and Adam Page went out there, I thought, had a fantastic match. They had the most time, 29 minutes, 40 seconds. After everything I heard from FTR leaving the WWE and how frustrated they were with five-minute matches, eight-minute matches, to go out there with a guy like Kenny Omega and Adam Page for damn near 30 minutes for the World Tag Team Championship and put on a wrestling match. Another situation where elite members had to have a wrestling match and people just didn't like it. This is it was too slow. It was too long. This was too long. This was too long. Can I pull up? I should have pulled this up before. That's my fault. I'm going to pull it up right now because I think I remember exactly which pay-per-view it was. It's right here. Yep. Let's go down. Let's go down. Let's go down. And the results are right. I'm taking you on this ride here. Here we go. Kenny Omega, Adam Page defeating the Young Bucks. This was revolution. This was, I don't know how many months ago. I have it up top. They went 30 minutes. They went 30 minutes. This was in February, just before COVID hit. So Kenny Omega, Adam Page, and the Young Bucks went 30 minutes and five seconds at Revolution. Kenny Omega and Adam Page against FTR went 29 minutes and 40 seconds. Literally 25-second difference in duration. But this was the one you felt went too goddamn long. I now understand why people hated this show. And you hate you hated this show because you're not wrestling fans. And I don't mean that as a diss. I don't mean you don't hate everything. I, I don't, I'm not saying this like you hate all things wrestling. You love wrestling. I'm not going to pull your wrestling card for that. I'm talking about the other wrestling. You know, the actual wrestling. The grappling. The ah, cinching in the whole shit. The actual technical version, the Greco-Roman yada 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 version of professional wrestling, where it's hold for hold, move for move, not a not a whole bunch of over the top rope, not a whole bunch of unnecessary ladders, no spots, no tricks. That's the shit you like. You don't like straight up professional wrestling. You don't like wrestling. Not wrestling. You don't like wrestling. You like you you don't even like pro wrestling. You just you like wrestling. That's it. You like wrestling. You love it when guys like Kenny and Adam and all these guys are going to do the front flip over this and then this and then the tope to the outside. That's the shit you like. The oohs, the ahs. When it comes to actual wrestling, you're not really huge fans of that. I'm getting that vibe. Every time AEW tries to pull it back just a little bit, you guys resist. You resist. FTR is considered one of the best tag teams in the world. And for so long, a lot of a lot of people from who were fans of this company, AEW, uh, didn't necessarily co-sign fully, but definitely respected FTR for their uh, their work. This is their work. Kenny Omega and Adam Page had a fucking FTR match, and it was great. It was good. They still got all their crazy shit in. They just did it methodically and with pacing and with storytelling. This match had a lot of storytelling. And it ended with a great storytelling pivot. Because now it leaves you wondering, is Kenny Omega, are we going to get the cleaner back? 
You know, are we going back into into a different world with Kenny Omega? Everyone thought, well, Paige will turn heel. Then, oh, we would much rather Omega turn heel. There's and now FTR with this new Horseman stable. They've got the tag titles. There's a lot of different directions that this tag match took the tag division. Are we going to lose Omega and Paige? Are they going back to being individuals again? Are FTR now going to start off being the de facto team moving forward? Are they going to remain heels? Uh, there's a lot of question marks on this. And the match itself, if you watch it through 29 minutes, I enjoyed every minute of that match. Every minute. Unfortunately, this was also the match I was having some connective issues. It wasn't with the with the website I was watching it on. I had actual connective issues in my home. So I kept glitching every now and then. I, at one point, I had to restart it. But I saw 29 minutes of this match. I may have missed two minutes total in spurts. And I loved every single minute of this match. For anybody who thought this match was one of the worst Omega Page matches ever, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. There's a lot of other matches I could probably put on that list. <clears throat> Not this one. This one was great. And I look forward to seeing what FTR does in the future. That fan is now starting to, the fan that's keeping me alive. It's actually starting to haunt, come back to haunt me. And just as soon as I sit here and say that you guys really don't enjoy uh, uh, real professional wrestling, they go ahead and do this next match. Now, this next match had wrestling in it. It was the Mimosa Mayhem match. Orange Cassidy defeating Chris Jericho. Uh, by knocking him into the vat of mimosa. This was supposed to be the blow-off here, and I'm sure that it is. Orange Cassidy will now probably go one way, and Chris Jericho will go another. But Chris Jericho, for those of you who keep calling him the GOAT, the greatest of all time, I got to be honest with you, I struggled with that. But the longer I see this man perform into his later years, the more I'm starting to realize, holy shit, there may be some more to that than I thought. I'm actually legitimately starting to think that now. Because only Chris Jericho <laughs> can get into a program with a character that puts his hands in his pockets. That's it. Just puts his hands in his pockets, doesn't say a whole lot, very nonchalant. Stretch that feud out, like he said, for about 14 weeks. Put the he gets one over on Orange. Orange gets one so gets one over on him. It's even keel, right? That's enough to get a guy over. You have your blow off, and you introduce something ridiculous like a may, mimosa mayhem match, and it looked cool with the vats and all that. But as soon as I didn't understand how this match was going to go, I was I'm going to be honest. I was very curious. And then I saw the vats, and I went, oh, this is genius. He's a genius. He's a genius. As soon as I saw the vats, I was like, he's a fucking genius. Because, and as soon as I saw the vats, because I, I knew the rules of the match, but I didn't understand how that was going to go. It was pinfall submission or fully submerging your opponent into a vat of mimosa. And I, I just, I thought to myself, well, yeah, I mean, you just throw somebody in a pool or whatever, right? I didn't understand how it was set up. I, I didn't get it. As soon as I saw it during entrances and shit, I, I, I just, I started applauding out loud. I was like, oh, he's a genius. Because with pinfall and submission or fully submerging, those are the rules of the match, which gives you the, impi and <laughs> gives you the impression anything can happen. 
They could pin. They could submit. Anything could happen. But as soon as I saw that, I said, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. He is going – I knew exactly who was going to win. I said, oh, yeah, Orange wins this matchup. Orange Cassidy wins this matchup. It's perfect because it puts Orange Cassidy over in the matchup. So now he walks away with a, a, a program win over Chris Jericho. Not a match, but a full program. He's a baby face that won over on Chris Jericho. And Chris Jericho is this uh, strong, booked heel that is going to lose this program. But he's not going to get pinned. And he's not going to submit. So they're free to do whatever they want with Jericho. Because if you figure if Jericho loses the orange straight up, he gets beat. Jericho might have to take some time off, right? Get off the stink of that loss and then come back and beat somebody else up. And Jericho's good at that. He, he can pivot easy. But with that, he doesn't take a loss. I mean, he loses the match, but he doesn't take a loss. So on camera, it's visually, it still looks like it's the same old Jericho. They, they were able to try to make something out of Orange without losing anything in Jericho. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was masterful. It's a master class. That, that promo that he shot beforehand where he was saying all this shoot material and then bled into the work. You know, this was an experiment to see if I could try to make this kid a main event player. and blah, blah, blah. That was all real shit. And then went into the work. Well, the experiment's over. I'm going to end you tonight and blah, blah. It's a master class. When you see Chris Jericho do his shit, take notes. And I don't mean what he's saying. I mean what he's doing, his cadence, his hands, his mannerisms, the way that he carries himself, the way he does his entrance, the way he performs his matches. They were teasing, dumping into the vet a thousand times. It was like working a, uh, it was like a Royal Rumble thing where they kept holding the ropes and like they would like put their feet just over the ropes and then come back and they would continue to have a regular, uh, regular match. Uh, the that thing uh, I just explained to you was an easy out, and it was beautiful. But because of that, I didn't really get into this match the way that I thought I would. And I, I, I've watched the match back since, and I, it dawned on me, and, I, and I'm going to say it here. If you remove the that, if you just do Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho, pinfall submission, regular match, if you take away the that, which means you take away those goofy spots where they hold the rope and the leg, and you just have the match for what it was, not a bad match. These two actually have some really, really good chemistry together. I, I thought they were really good together. The VAT takes it out of takes me out of it. Because I know it's just a tease for a bunch of stuff. That's just not going to happen. I, Orange Cassidy was not going into that VAT. I just knew it. Because that's not how you make a star. Stars, stars win. Stars have to win. And if you're trying to make a guy a star, he needs to win. And as soon as I saw that VAT, I said, okay, well, there you go. That's how they make him a winner. Because they're not going to beat Jericho. Jericho's not taking losses on pay-per-view. This is it's not going to happen. He took one Dean, excuse me, John, and that was it. And cuz you got to protect him. He's a veteran. He's going to get as many people over as you can job him out. That's the one guy they always seem to get just right, him and Moxley. Which brings us to our next match, the last match, our main event, a singles match. That's it. Everybody else had these ridiculous stiffs, but this one was a regular ass singles match for the AEW World Championship. The only stipulation with this one Moxie was banned from using the paradigm shift finishing move, which is a double arm DDT. Now, another piece of brilliance with this matchup, and I'm going to skip right to the end, and I'll go back to the beginning because there's something about the entrances that I want you guys to pick up on. 
he ended up utilizing the, the finish was great, right? So, so uh, MJF is a bloody mess. John Moxley's in the ring with MJF. They're they're they've beaten each other down to shit. Wardlow gets the attention of the referee and proceeds to throw the ring, the ring that uh, war uh, that MJF wears on his hands. He throws the ring to him and he overshoots. It goes like right through his legs. Uh, MJF turns to grab the ring. Moxley meets him, notices the referee's not looking, hooks up MJF into a paradigm shift, and drops him on his head. Now, here's what I think is brilliant about this, and I don't know if they're going to use it on Wednesday. We'll see, but it would be beautiful if they did because if you think about it, he didn't hit him with paradigm shift. He hit him with Death Rider. Now, if you're not familiar with John Moxley's work, in New Japan, because he's working with New Japan while he's doing his AEW deal. The paradigm shift is basically Dirty Deeds, right? It's the, it's an underhook, it's double underhook DDT, boom, snap it off, it's good. Death Rider, same setup, it's a double underhook, right, over the arms, but he does a lift. Guy comes off the ground, and then he drills him down with the DDT. They're, they're very similar looking moves, but they're two very distinctly different ones. I don't know if they're going to use that going forward. I would. Because I don't know if it was planned that way. I don't. I don't know what the deal is. But uh, I did notice that, that that move that he did hit him with looked an awful lot like Death Rider. It didn't look like Paradigm Shift. So uh, that might be something that they use. But I want to go back to the entrance for just a second because I was pumped. So M- they did the whole promo package and all that stuff. And MJF comes out, and all I kept hearing, all I keep hearing, I should say, is how good MJF is, and I know it. I've been working with this dude since the beginning of his career. I, I know how good he is. But like Moxley said, you're not there yet. We have to see we have to see if he's the real deal. So when MJF did his walk, you can kind of get a serious tone from him. There was a different vibe from MJF. The gear was looking good. He was on point. The guy looked like a star, walks like a star, talks like a star, is built like a star. But I got to admit, and I looked over at my wife right at the start of this thing when Moxley did his entrance and the two of them in the ring now and they're doing their intros. I told I told my wife, I said, you know, this is going to make a break MGF right here. If he can't get into the ring with a John Moxley and put on a main event performance, this is going to sink him. You know, he's at a point now where he, he can't afford to be stagnant. He's either going to get into this match and impress or he's going to drop the ball. It's going to be one or the other. There's no coming out of this equal as in where, you know, staying in the same place that he was. That was the situation he was in with Cody uh, where it was kind of up in the air. It could be a little bit. We don't really know what we're going to get from NJF in that matchup. And believe it or not, I actually felt coming out of that matchup like he – didn't gain as much, but he didn't lose anything. He was kind of in the middle. With this matchup, because I knew it was going to be a fight. John Moxley has fights. He doesn't have wrestling matches. With this, he's either going to come off as a bitch, and he's going to get beat up by Moxley, and they're going to look at him, and they're going to go, all right, well, he's not that tough. He's, 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 you know, he's a wrestler. He's got a big mouth, yada, yada, yada. Or he's going to walk away with this with a whole new page, a whole new chapter in his book, and he's going to come out looking fantastic, Right? Much more like championship material at the end of this. And I was waiting for the moment. I was like, I'm watching this match. I'm like, all right, come on, MJF, show it to me. Where is it? Where is the main event guy? Give it to me. Give it to me. And he's going hold for hold with him, and they're doing their shit, whatever, blah, blah, blah. 
the spot, or the, I should say the section, is not really a spot because they really do a whole lot, where they just staring at each other and they're just stiff and they just forearms and slaps and they're just they're just fucking each other up and fucking with each other and they just went they just went for it and they just got stiff as shit and they just started hitting each other and fighting and looking I got into it and I said up oh, there it is that's my moment he's a tough son of a bitch too he can do it he can do it I bought it I was like up oh, he can do it he can fucking fight if he needs to if he needs to the gimmick doesn't require it but in this situation against a guy like John Moxley he showed his toughness. He's not just some bitch from Long Island with a big mouth. He can fight. If he needs to, he can fight. And that was much needed. It was a much needed uh, layer to MJF. It puts more oomph on his bark because he talks a hell of a good fight. He, he, uh, he, he talks a hell of a good talk, I should say. He can talk talk. But there's a lot of guys who come in the wrestling business who talk, you know, and come off like bitches. It's one of the reasons Enzo will never get another job again because he can talk, but he's very much clearly a bitch. <laughs> he can't wrestle, he can't fight, he can't do shit at all whatsoever. And and that's why Enzo started losing a lot of the steam that he did. He didn't come off credible. MJF came off credible. I bought it. It looked real. It looked real enough for me to believe that he's tough enough I know they went for the color to add that, but believe it or not, if he wasn't bleeding, I still would have bought it because I buy John as a tough guy. So if MJF is going to get in there with a tough guy and be tough, it rubs off. You know, I know John fed a lot to him, and they were trying to get him over as a main event guy. I think it worked. I thought the finish was good because it takes the heat off of uh, MJF for losing the match. They put that heat on Wardlow for that. I'm sure there will be consequences for that for Wardlow. It gives MJF something to play with now that John is now going to move into a program with Lance. It was good. It's what they needed to be. To be honest with you, I think this was John Moxley's best match as champion. I didn't like a whole lot of the other matches. This one I thought was fucking fantastic. Good shit. But that's what I'm saying. A lot of these matches were good shit. I don't understand where people were getting so mad. Except for the fact of you just don't like the wrestling aspect of shit. That's it. You don't like the wrestling stuff. That's the best I can come up with. Is that you just don't you can't sit there and watch straight up wrestling. It's gotta be a bunch of bullshit attached to it. Tricks. Like they say it's just tricks. You like the tricks. I'm gonna end this show now. But I'm going to end it with a plea to my dear friend, Uncle Tony. This is a plea. I, I want Tony to understand that I'm coming from a good place. Mr. Khan, I'm coming from a good place. I know what your heart is telling you. You want transparency. I get it. The Young Bucks want it. Cody wants it. Omega wants it. A lot of the boys and the gals in the locker room want it, too. They, in this social media day and age, with instant access and instant ability to reach a fan base at the at the, the, the push of a button, you can tell the audience whatever it is you want to tell them, whether it be a work or whether it be a shoot, you can do whatever you want. It's very hard to resist the temptation of trying to keep your audience as close to you as possible. It's a way for you to build a rapport with the audience unlike any other wrestling company has ever done before and also 
to be honest with you, I think they wanted to do this because it was different from the WWE. WWE is eating shit right now for their third-party stuff. And we'll talk about that next week. Because uh, th- I'm waiting for more information to come out about that, too. Uh, their third-party stuff, the COVID cases coming out. WWE right now is in a, a horrible place. And they want to be counterculture. They want to be alternative to WWE. And one of the ways they do that is instead of pushing the fans away, they like bringing in the fans and like keeping the fans abreast of the situation. <sighs> it needs to stop, Tony. <laughs> it needs to stop. You Listen, listen. Uncle, Uncle Tony, can I call you? I'm, I'm going to call you Uncle Tony. Uncle, Uncle Tony, come sit down with me. Listen to me. Talk, we talk, we're family. We're family. All right, Mr. Khan, we're family. I'll talk to you. We're family, okay? Listen to me. These fans, they're not rolling with you the way you think they're rolling with you. They're not. They're fans. Fans are people. People have opinions. And they think their opinions are just as valid as everybody else's. And they're not. Random wrestling fans' opinion, it is not as valuable as Tony Khan's opinion. It's just, it isn't. It just isn't. And this openness, this, this these transgressions that happen on social media and how it will be open and all this other stuff. <laughs> that tweet, with the, he didn't have a concussion. He very clearly had a concussion, Tony. Even if you didn't feel like he legitimately did. Because... First of all, he's going to know better than me. He was there, right? He's in the building. He obviously saw Matt at some point after the match. I'm sure he saw him at some point. Maybe he even had a conversation with him. Maybe he, he was able to say something to Matt, and Matt was able to say something to him, and it, he thought to himself, well, no man who's had a concussion can either remember nor retort like that. But that's not true. I've had concussions. I've been fully... And in the midst of full-on concussion, I've had full-on conversations, both with paramedics and doctors and the people who were around me when I had them. You can carry a conversation with a concussion. doesn't mean you don't have one. He very clearly, on camera, had a concussion. Going out and telling people on social media he didn't have a concussion when there's no way for anyone to really know other than the eye test. Because as that medical professional, that doctor put up, there's no test for a concussion. And I know that because, like I said, I've had them and I've had doctors tell me, it's all a look. you got to see the pupils dilate. There's visible dizziness. There's a, a wherewithal that's gone. You can tell when you look at the person. There's a blankness that goes to the face when it comes to concussions, which he had. Clearly. You can still function. But you have a concussion. He had a concussion. Even if you didn't think that he had one, you don't need to tweet it. You don't have to tweet everything. You don't have to. I know you're trying to develop a relationship with people. I fucking get it. I hear you. I understand. But there's a reason, not just the WWE, but companies, business in general, Keep things like this close to the vest. The people at Pepsi don't give a shit about the opinions of the people who drink Pepsi. The people who work at McDonald's don't give a fuck about the opinion of people who eat McDonald's. They don't give a shit. They do their business, and you either spend money on them, or you fucking don't. And that's it. And AEW, I know, is considered technically an upstart. But you're on TNT, you're on National Network, you've got a full-on roster with a big budget in a big place that carry yourself like a big company 
You don't have to carry yourself like an indie company. You're not an indie company. You're really not. You just behave that way because you're surrounded by indie guys. And that's the mentality. That's what they rub off on you. Because these indie guys, they go on Twitter and they go on Facebook and they spill the beans and they relieve, they reveal the magician's tricks and they and they go, you know, over and above to try to make sure everyone likes them and loves them and does all that shit. That's what they do. You are the boss. You not only do you not have to do that, but based on the actions of the other fucking company, you you can go ahead and just tell them fuck it. You can't do it either. Get off your social media. If you, I don't think he has the contractual power to do that. Again, we'll get into that next week. That's a whole other fucking... I have a lot of research I have to do for that. That's why we're not doing it today. Because I want to get my words absolutely right on that. But yeah, Tony, come on, Mr. Khan, whatever. TK, whatever the kids are calling you, okay? It's all right, bro. It's all right. You don't have to talk about everything. It's cool. You can keep some shit to the vest. It's all right. Okay? If you want to play the HIPAA rule, play the HIPAA rule, man. For those of you who don't know that HIPAA law is basically you can't release medical information with or without to, you know, to a degree, with or without the permission of the person in question. As a medical professional, period, you really can't release that information. It's really up to Matt himself to do that, which we're going to do on Wednesday. That's why I said you didn't need to update anybody right now. If you want to update anybody, just tell them, you know what, he, he, he got hurt. He saw a doctor. He went to the hospital. He got checked out. He's heading home. He'll see you guys on Wednesday. That's your update. That's it. You don't have to do anything else because people are questioning you now, Tony. And I know you wouldn't put anybody in harm's way. There's a lot of people that know that. There's people saying now oh, they're treating their wrestlers like shit. They're not treating their wrestlers like nothing. I, I promise you Matt's the one that wanted to keep going. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I get the sense based on what I saw. Because remember, your situation is not a backstage issue. This was live on pay-per-view, folks. Live for the world to see. We were all watching that shit live as it happened. And based on what I saw, it looked like he wanted to fucking continue. And Tony, this is where you're supposed to step in and say, Nah, you're an investment, buddy. Ring that bell. We'll figure out. Why don't you take a vacation? He was going to need one anyway. If anything, based on the injury that he suffered, you should have wrote him off TV. That would have been perfect. You should have had Sammy beat him. Just like that. And then write him on TV. He lost. And then have him come back. You know, make some excuse. Well, Broken Matt was the one who wrestled that match, so he's gone. Or whatever the fuck. There's different ways to go about it. And give him his vacation time and let him heal the fuck up. Because you had him beat Sammy Guevara, which means there's no stipulation now that says that he has to leave. But he's leaving. You're not going to keep him on TV the next few weeks, are you? Stiggers just smashed his the whole back of his head in for you. Jesus. So that is the AEW All Out Fallout episode here, episode 155. I'm telling you guys it was a good show. If you disagree with me, please let me know. Tell me why it was. Because I'm pretty sure most of you are going to, for anybody who disagrees with me, they're probably just going to use boring, too long. I'm telling you, it's the wrestling stuff. You guys you don't like the wrestling stuff. You like all the other shit that comes with the wrestling. I'm telling you, watch. You'll see. 
You'll see. You guys won't be able to come up with a reason other than the wrestling stuff. Trust me. I promise. So anyway, we're going to be back next week. Again, we're going to talk about the third-party stuff. There's a few more things that's going to come up that I'm waiting to see how that goes. Uh, I was supposed to do an interview last week. It got canceled because of scheduling issues. We have some more interviews coming up. I have been saying that a lot. And watch. You know how this goes. It happens in spurts. As soon as I get some free time, I don't do one. I do like 17. So we'll see how this goes. There's a lot of stuff happening now as far as indie wrestling. There's some stuff going on with me with that, too. So we have to talk about that. I might be taking some time off. Who knows? There's some things happening. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you guys for downloading. And, of course, thank you guys for enjoying episode 155. 100 episodes now pay him. And make sure that you buy my husband's t-shirt at prowrestlingtees.com slash A-J-O-U-N. Please, he needs this. Listen to my daddy's show. He's the best, so I don't know.